Hello to all intelligent life and otherwise. Welcome to the Brainstem Show on the Workforce Show at WERA 96.7 FM, Radio Arlington, and online at brainstemshow.org. I'm Aaron Bursiaga, and here we go. This is the Brainstem Show. You've tuned in because the game has changed. In schoolhouses, on playing fields, in boardrooms, and on battlefields. Welcome to the Matrix. Welcome to a world defined by science, technology, engineering, and math. I'm your personal data scientist and AI engineer. And in this show, we talk and even debate a bit with leaders in STEM on news, perspective, experiences, and career advice. We'll have some pop culture and sci-fi fun along the way. Let's dive in to today's show. Kirk Bourne is our guest today. And Kirk, let's get started by introducing you with two truths and a lie. Go ahead. Three of them in any oh order. Oh, my gosh. In any order. Here we go. So uh, I did some stand-up comedy in lower Manhattan, New York City last year. <laughs> Number one. I uh, graduated college at the age of 19 from Caltech. Two. And I uh, once was invited uh, to brief the president on data mining. Three. I absolutely know that three had to be true, or I would hope it would be true. Uh, I'm going to have to go with one. Uh, you're a funny guy. You crack me up. But did you really do stand-up in New York last year? I did. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I Quite the Renaissance that. man. I can so tell you that I was story wrong later. today. <laughs> so which one was the lie? Uh, I already forgot because I lied about it, that I graduated from college at 19. So. <laughs> well, I would have I was close. I was too. 20. So. <laughs> but you did go to Caltech, right? What led you there? What did you study? Well, I went to Caltech in graduate school in astronomy. Uh, my undergraduate degree was at Louisiana State University in physics. So that might be interesting for folks. They're tuning in to a STEM show. And we're obviously later in the show going to be talking a lot about artificial intelligence, data science, data mining. So that's so interesting. You're saying that you uh, went to Caltech to study astronomy. A lot of folks who might be dialing in the show thinking it's uh, science, technology, engineering, math are intrigued by the space and the science of it all, but that's very different than what you are doing today. So tell us, how did you get to that point from astronomy to what you do? Well, it's a 30-year journey, and I don't have 30... We've got 26 minutes. Hours are 30 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> I got a 30 seconds. Uh, so uh, first of all, it was, uh, it was a natural transition because astronomy is a forensic science. It's about looking at the evidence and the data that the universe gives us and uh, trying to understand it. And so data science is the exact same thing. We collect data to try to understand a process or a system or something uh, based upon what the data is showing us. So, so that's pretty natural. And the other thing that was sort of natural for me is that I've always loved doing scientific discovery. And so this, this is just a continuation of that process. I love how the stars inspired you. That's absolutely uh, what led to my inspiration as a, as a young adult. I wanted to go to space as well and be an astronomer. I wanted to be an astronaut. And, and neither of those worked out. So I did the next best thing and, and became an explorer of, of data, which are kind of like stars on the ground. That's awesome. Kirk, uh, I, you and I connected long before I began at uh, analytics to go and I know I knew you and I followed you through some work that we did together, as well as your Twitter stream and other information you put out there on the social channels. So tell me and please tell the audience, how do you tweet, curate and cultivate all the ideas and information knowledge that you share with really the world? I like to describe my Twitter presence as an embedded reporter. <laughs> Uh, so I'm, I'm essentially during my day, I'm doing all kinds of work around data, data science, machine learning, reading things, working with people, talking with people. And any time I encounter some new article or some new idea or some new research 
or something, I will uh, tweet about it. So maybe not that instant, but later during that day. So it's really just stuff I, that comes to me, and I just find it really interesting. And I really uh, pay attention to the quality of it and, and the value of it that it contributes uh, to building a literacy around this in the world. And so it's not just technical stuff for its own sake, but, but technical stuff that's instructive and, and useful. You said uh, two interesting words I just took note of. You said building literacy. Tell me how uh, consuming articles as frequently as you do daily and then communicating them builds your literacy. Or or how would you suggest that young folk adopt adopt the discipline that you have to build their literacy? Well, actually, I meant that in the opposite way, that I am am building the literacy of my audience. Uh, So I spent 12 years as a professor at university teaching this stuff. And all through my whole career, I was always mentoring people, and I and I, and I felt pretty uh, strongly about uh, the the value of of communicating uh, information around science and math and technologies, and so that's what I do on Twitter. I, I when I when I see these things that I think are educational and useful for other people to enter the field, I like to uh, build their literacy by what I share. And of course, I am building my literacy uh, by reading this stuff, but uh, it's. Uh, what puts me on social media is the motivation to, to share that with the world. I don't have nearly as many Twitter followers as you. Roughly, how many do you have today? Uh, pretty close to 223,000. 223,000. And routinely, you're listed as in the top, if not the top, person to follow with regard to data science, right? That is correct. What's a recent uh, uh, recognition you've received? Well, there's many different recognitions that come from different organizations who rank things in different ways. Uh, the one which uh, I'm really proud of most recently was I was named the, the number one worldwide influencer in digital, which covers AI, machine learning, and data science. Congratulations. I, I had not heard that. I guess I didn't see that on your handle. Congratulations for that. And I believe that in my own growth, not only consuming but sharing daily has been critical. Can you tell me how you would describe that better to students or folks who want to become the next Kirk Bourne? Why is it important <laughs> to consume and share as you have? Well, f- two things. Uh, one of those things is uh, something I learned years ago, that the best way to learn a subject is to teach it. Uh, the, probably the worst way to learn a subject is to take the class. <laughs> okay, uh, So, so y- the more you train, teach, and mentor other people with stuff, the more you learn. Uh, but also at the same time, being able to explain it to someone so that they can understand it is an, a, sort of an illustration or evidence that you really truly understand it yourself. I think it was Einstein who said, you don't really understand something unless you can explain it to your grandmother. And ironically, Twitter forces you to explain it shortly, succinctly. Correct. And I've seen folks who have done it uh, poorly and folks who have done it really well, like yourself. Well, great. On that, let's go on to talk about uh, what we've learned from uh, sci-fi movies. So, Charlie, cue the music. It's not a STEM show without a sci-fi and pop culture quote quiz. Can you name the person or character, Kirk, quoted in the following, coming from history or Hollywood? They said, I take it the odds are against us and the situation is grim. Sounds like fun. Can you identify who said that and when was it said? I cannot, but I can envision many characters and movies who, who, comes to mind? who could have said something like that. Uh, you know, Harrison Ford in some, in some movie would <laughs> I'll probably I'll give you a hint. Probably Middle say, name was Tiberius. Ah, James Tiberius Kirk. There you go. Kirk would know that. James T. Kirk to Captain Jean-Luc Picard in the 1994, what I feel is a classic, Star Trek Generations. Absolutely. So that quote right there, I take it the odds are against us and the situation is grim. Sounds like fun. 
slow jam on that with me for just a little bit. What parallels do you hear in it and how can we see ourselves as data scientists, AI engineers in it today? Uh, first parallel I see is if you see a hard problem or something that's uncrackable appears, that's where the fun begins. If you see something that's uh, a failure, that's where the fun begins. If you see something that uh, you know you made a mistake on, you can have an opportunity to fix that. That's where fun begins. That's right. I think to quote another uh, famous movie, Bruce Willis, yippee-ki-yay. <laughs> let's jump in. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> something like that. That's right. Okay, well, what's uh, what's been the best sci-fi campy movie that you have seen, maybe recently or of all time, that you felt has been ahead of its time? Well, I think it's one that uh, you probably know that uh, that you and I saw together once, and that is uh, Forbin, Colossus the Forbin Project. And there's a lot of things about that movie, about the, the, the computer uh, that develops in AI. But what's really interesting about it is when it connects with another supercomputer on the other side of the world, they actually teach each other. And that's actually a form of reinforcement learning. And I read recently that uh, 2019 is the year of reinforcement learning. The, the number one advancement in AI will be in reinforcement learning this year. And this movie was made like, what, 50 years ago. Absolutely. For I, We actually had a quiz with our last guest where the Forbin Project was the pop culture quote uh, quiz, and uh, I'm a huge fan of it, like you, and, and feel that uh, if any listener has not yet seen it, uh, go and check it out. Colossus, the Forbin Project, 1974? Maybe even sooner than that. <laughs> Maybe it's, sooner than it, that. It is definitely campy, but it's so forward-looking. Yeah, I'd love to see that as a remake, wouldn't you? Yeah, sure. Starring Kirkborn? No, probably not, but I would like to see a remake. <laughs> well, let me ask you, what uh, book have you read recently that you would recommend to our audience? I was thinking about this, and I, and, I, and I realized I have to answer that question truthfully, that I don't read books. I read content in books. You know, so I, I will jump around and read chapters or parts of books uh, as it suits. How know. many books do you have going at a time? Oh, I don't know. It's just a stack on my desk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same way. I actually find myself able to read more when I have more than one book running. But let me to get back to your question though. It's a, it's a book that I actually uh, read content from. I don't want to say read the book, read content from years ago. So it's not a recent book, and it wasn't a recent experience. But it keeps coming back to me a lot these days. And that's the book, a book called The End of Physics, and I believe the author was uh, David Lindsay or something like this. Uh, so The End of Physics basically talks about how theoretical physics has sort of gone off the rails a little bit with string theory and multi-universes and things that basically are not testable. And I think that sort of makes me stop and think about what the things we're doing in AI and machine learning and data science when we come up with algorithms. Are they really truly testable before we unleash them? Uh, the end of physics has to do with the fact that it's not really a scientific process if you just hypothesize something that you can never prove. So I understand the parallels to artificial intelligence. You're the guest. Would you please share that with with the listening audience as to the parallels you see that helping us understand AI and, and the requirements or the or the governance AI should require? Well, just for an example, uh, I'm not saying this would happen, but imagine uh, a world of self-driving cars, autonomous vehicles, and you sort of make the assumption that they will all, every one of the cars uh, will respect the, the lane that the other car is in, right? That there won't be any kind of lane crossing. Uh, today, if, if a self-driving car is doing that, the, the a, a human-driven car will get out of the way. But do we really think and believe that the self-driving car would get out of the way? Maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't. I mean, that assumption is uh, not really testable because you're going to have to crash somebody or crash something. And so people sort of avoid uh, testing a scenario that uh, is probably not a good thing to test. 
Now that's not a very good example, but it's an idea of something that you just you make an assumption, and uh, I think the end of physics is a little bit more crazy than that because it's you're basically hypothesizing multiple universes that we can never even see, prove, or any other, anything like that at all. So. I'm not sure we have a, a parallel in AI that's that extreme. Well, I think that's some deep stuff, and I actually want to pull on that thread a little bit. Let's go a little deeper, you know, especially when we start talking about uh, uh, governance and regulation, everything else like that. You start getting into ethics and values, and where you feel those ethics or those values come from is going to be important, ultimately, in how we govern ourselves, look at ourselves, trust ourselves, or the machines. So knowing you, as I do, I, I know that the faith your faith has inspired some of your work and research. How has it done so, and, and what can you point to? Well, I would say that my initial sort of love of astronomy was just uh, just the wonder of the universe. I mean, as a child looking at the sky, uh, the stars at night, which uh, if you haven't lived in a dark place, you don't really appreciate uh, big cities, uh, you don't see this. And so just that wonder of it all just uh, sort of filled filled me up with sort of well, how did that come to be? How did that come to pass? And, it, and I, my upbringing in a faith, was I felt sort of strengthened through that because I really felt like there was a hand at work uh, behind all of those. So there was no dichotomy in in your approach to science and in God. You found, you found a fusion? I would say that. Uh, I, I think there's... You know, some who would question that because where's the proof for God and these kinds of things, and and, it, and it's a, it's a different type of question. It's it's really something that's you, you should, as my mother used to say, you would know when you know her. Okay, it's not something you can go out and collect data with it from a sensor and say here's the data that proves it. It's really something you just believe and you know in in, in yourself, and and if that you know leads you to lead a certain way of life and, uh, and things like that, then I'm I'm very comfortable with that. I've uh, heard you say that before. Uh, it's a quote that I haven't written down, but I just did. Uh, quoting Mom Born, <laughs> you know when you're knower. <laughs> that's, that's great. So given your faith, what challenges have you faced and how have you faced those while holding on to your beliefs amongst the developments of science and technology that you've been a part of? Well, there's, uh, those challenges come both from the outside and the inside. And uh, I don't want to address too much the external challenges because you know, a lot of times people will directly will challenge the faith that I have and things like that. And I've been in situations that have been uncomfortable like that. Uh, but, but for me, the, the, that's not so much a struggle for me as my internal one, where, which is, which is part, of, part of faith is being able to be honest with yourself. And so when I, you know, because as a data scientist where I, where I rely heavily on data and so, on evidence <laughs> uh, to, to div divine something, if you will, uh, to, to, to hypothesize something, to learn something, and yet there's not that evidence in the case of faith. And so, you know, I, I sort of walk that line in a way that I, I realize that it just, it are just two different dimensions of, of a reality that I just have to accept it that way. You know, it's, it's interesting, data science and, and the science of better and everything else like that, we really are exploring the data, exploring technology, exploring automation and intelligence for an evidence of things hoped for that aren't always seen, right? Exactly. Now, and, I personally, I, I have had a lot of experiences in my life, which I guess I would call minor miracles. <laughs> and there's there's uh, such a significant number of them. I mean, there's just like, I could just write a book on it, and I probably will someday, that there's the, just too many coincidences that led to too many things that, uh, that again, it's it's the faith can't be based upon things like that, because then it's not faith. I mean, faith is that, as you said, it's based on things, you know, it's belief in things not seen. But if, if things... 
that are just completely unexpected. I mean, you know, like a child of ours who fell down the stairs and, and basically nearly you know, cut her eye out with her finger as she was rolling down the stairs. And then uh, after some prayer, it just it was completely fine. And it's like the doctor said that's not possible because she nearly put her eye out. You know, and so you know you could say, well, that was just a fluke. But there's just like too many of those in life that you just can't keep calling everything a fluke. Statistics tells us so, right? So, what advice would you give to those who are faithful and yet are working to push the edge on innovation, science, and technology? Well, just be true to yourself. I mean, uh, I, I see in myself I have certain gifts. Um, you know, I. I don't take credit for them. That's that's one aspect of faith is knowing that the, the, the gifts are truly that they're they're given. They're not, you know, created out of myself. Uh, of course, some of those gifts come from my family upbringing and schooling and things like that. So I understand those factors are in there. So you know, stay true to what you can do and what you uh, what you love, and follow that uh, follow that north star. The Brainstem Show is brought to you by the Workforce Show, airing new programming every Monday and Thursday at nine a.m. on WERA. 96.7 FM. Tune in for the Brainstem Show and its affiliate programs on those days and time. So that same audience who we are asking to stay true to themselves, let's throw them into a quiz. Time now for a quiz for the audience. It's called Data Science Theater 3000, a term you and I are familiar with. So here at the show, we're big fans of campy sci-fi. You are too, Kirk. Uh, truly, I have used it in workplace settings to stretch a team's brain, laugh a little, eat cheap pizza with some flaming hot Cheetos and uh, drink some generic soda. And today in the show, we're going to give a few clues to a favorite. And you can say you know the clue or you can even add another clue if you have one, but don't give away the answer. We're inviting the audience to mail those in in just a second. The three clues are these. Number one, this Western set was used in the 1974 sci-fi classic that I'm talking about, as well as for Blazing Saddles. A fan? You've seen it, surely. Absolutely. <laughs> Blazing Saddles. It's on my watch list every time. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, Michael Crichton, one of our favorite authors, was inspired to write this film after a trip to Disneyland where he saw Pirates of the Caribbean's animatronics. Awesome. Are you getting closer to guessing? I'm getting close. All right, don't say anything. And then number th the third clue. After the filming of Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, Arnold Schwarzenegger was set to produce and star in a remake of this movie for Warner Brothers. All right, do you think you have a clue? I it? am blank on that one. Oh, do you have any other clues you can add to it if you think you got the uh, the movie down? Uh, no. All right, don't give the answer, but... Let's, uh, let's see if the audience knows. So if you think you have the answer or you want to dispute the facts, send your answers to mailroom at brainstemshow.org or tweet them directly to at brainstemshow or kindly mail them in on the back of any unmarked $20 bill to Brainstem Show, <laughs> care of the workforce show. 2701C, Wilson Boulevard, Arlington, Virginia, 22201. A winner will be randomly selected from all the correct answers and will receive some amazing Brainstem Show swag. All right. Well, Kirk, coming out of that, what is the most promising new technology that you have seen or read about or that you think will disrupt your field of data science and AI? Well, I think we mentioned earlier reinforcement learning. Uh, the reinforcement learning is just 
been amazing at what it's been able to accomplish in the past year. If, if you're familiar with the, the, the Go competition where the machine built uh, beat the yep. world champion in Go. Uh, Not just chess, but Go. Yes, the most difficult game in the universe. Uh, there are as many moves in the game of Go as there are atoms in the universe. Uh, but the machine taught itself through reinforcement learning, which, which is basically it, it watches how it plays itself, and when it loses, it learns from that and, and gets better. And so we'll see reinforcement in a lot of different places uh, now that uh, we, we see that machines can teach themselves. And it reflects right back to that movie Colossus the Foreman Project, where the computer taught the other computer, and they both gained more knowledge and wisdom pretty rapidly than anyone could have expected. And instead of a game of Go, it was a game of nukes, or at least for the humans. Yeah, in that movie, it was a, a, a doomsday <laughs> scenario. So reinforcement learning, you think, is going to be the disruptor in our field? I think it will be, and not in terms of uh, doomsday scenarios, but sure. but in terms of, of, of rapid... Well, what are some positive ways you think turning? it can be used? Well, I think, uh, for example, in medical diagnosis, for example. Okay, so we're already using AI to, to, to read radiological images and, and CAT scans and heart scans like that uh, to diagnose. And when it's wrong, uh, it, turn, it gets turned over to an, a cardiologist. So imagine that the AI sort of teaches itself how to correct the mistakes that it has made. When it, when it gets something wrong, it trains itself better. Uh, and so we'll see even better, faster diagnoses than, uh, than we've seen so far, which is already amazing. But it still requires a pretty intensive review by uh, an expert. And I'm not saying we're going to take the expert out of the loop, but we're going to get much more accuracy in the models so that the expert has fewer things to look at to correct because the algorithm is doing better. You and I both work and play here in Northern Virginia. You at Booz Allen Hamilton. I'm at Analytics to Go. What's important is how we consider how this economy is going to change in Arlington throughout Northern Virginia. Of course, we've been in the global news recently. Uh, thinking beyond that brown smiling box, Amazon, what do you think is coming to the region? And how do we in STEM prepare individually or collectively? Well, I think the the nature of the, the world is digital. I mean, so you think of data science as basically processing digital signals. And so we're at the, the hub of, you know, sort of, you know, Western democracy, the, the strongest country, you know, in, in the world. If, and uh, the data and digital information that's being collected in this region, uh, not only by the, the government, but also by the corporations which are in the Northern Virginia area, uh, that is going to attract a lot of talent. It's going to be sort of the Silicon Valley of the East. And so maybe in the future, the uh, folks in Silicon Valley will say, hey, we're the Washington, D.C., the Northern Virginia of the West. And so we're going to, we're going to attract talent. We're going to attract other businesses and corporations who want to uh, tap into the talent pool here, the, you know, the, the opportunity pool that's here, the, the technology development. What do you think Arlington needs to do as a community today to further distinguish itself as that Silicon Valley of the East. I, I do think it's critical, but you see Boston, uh, you see Orlando and other centers looking to do that. How, how does Arlington step out and do that better, faster, differently? Uh, I think we should teach data science, machine learning, and AI to school kids. And Arlington should just start that now. K through 12? Exactly. Now, of course, the content will be geared to the age level, the age-appropriate content, but I think you just start right from the beginning, talk about how, how does, what is data, what is digital information, because every kid ha probably is holding a smartphone or an iPad, and teach them that the, the value of what that thing is that's in their hand, and show them uh, how companies are using it 
to create value, uh, you know, like e-commerce stores or uh, op, you know, optimal paths on maps, all kinds of ways that uh, the AI and data and machine learning play together in our hands uh, make that a, an inspiration for young people to get into a STEM education. Our producer, Cindy Gern, is uh, involved with the Arlington Economic Development Group, and I believe we can help make some introductions there, and certainly no better person on no better stage than you to, to help us do precisely that. Well, the amazing thing is I've actually participated in a number of uh, national uh, data science, data literacy, uh, in education working groups, and several of those have met in Arlington. Okay, So they're national groups that have met here. They've chosen to meet here. And I think the proximity to, you know, to the nation's capital and the, and the, and the education department and so on like that is, is an attractor to people who say, we want to influence the way education, science, math. Ed- you and I led one of those workshops. I'm, I'm forgetting who that was. It was sponsored by the National Science Foundation, but who were we doing that for? I'm trying to remember which one we were at together because I've done so many of these. That's right. Well, well, fantastic. Thank you for your service and helping us locally, nationally, and truly internationally. Kirk, it's been an amazing show. Sincerely, you are a beautiful human. You are a incredibly smart and literate data scientist, astronomer, uh, physicist, thinker. Where can we find more information about you, about what you are up to now or next? Well, thank you, Aaron, for all those compliments. Uh, but uh, my, uh, pretty much my, my technical, scientific, uh, professional life is an open book on uh, Twitter. So I'm tweeting all kinds of content there, but in, interspersed in there, I will talk about places I'm going and talks that I'm giving. And I love sharing the, the actual presentations with people. Uh, you just spoke at NASA Goddard uh, two or three, maybe more months ago with Time Flies. What have you got coming up? Well, uh, uh, this Friday of this week, I'm uh, going to a local university to, to speak to the students in the Masters of Business Analytics program. Uh, right after that, I'm flying to Charleston, South Carolina, uh, where Booz Allen has an innovation hub. And there's a hackathon taking place on Saturday, and I'll be a speaker at the hackathon. And it's focusing on the global sustainability goals, uh, fo- you know, focusing on data that we can use to measure our progress against sustainability and how we can uh, use data to improve our global sustainability. Awesome. Congratulations. And I, and I just finished a talk yesterday morning to students in India who are in a data science training camp. And there were 600 students online. I gave the talk in my pajamas from my home, so I didn't actually travel to <laughs> India. <laughs> Cameras uh, were not on, I hope. They were not on, but, <laughs> okay. but but it was a great event. Awesome. Well, that's the time we have for this show. Thanks to WERA 96.7 FM Radio Arlington. Cindy Gurn is our producer. Charlie Ross is on the dials as audio engineer and assistant producer. In best practice and homage, clearly, our legal advisors are Dewey Cheatham and Howe, and the show's resident statistician is the esteemed Marge Inovera. I'm Aaron Bursiaga. This has been the Brainstem Show. Remember, be a leader, not an algorithm. Adios and QED.